Now, if we'll turn uh, to the scriptures, please, and turn to the book of 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians and chapter 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, and I just want to read, uh, it's really five words that I have in mind, but we'll read two verses. For I have delivered, this is Paul the Apostle speaking to the, the saints at the church in Corinth. For I have delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day, according to the scriptures. We know the Lord will bless the reading of his word. Um, now, as I've been preparing for uh, and thinking about this meeting over the past uh, week, um, these five words in, in verse 3 have kept coming before me. Christ died for our sins. And I just want to take those five words and, and we'll look at them and we'll try and draw the gospel out from them. And I want to start in the logical place and that's the end. So we'll look at our sins, and then we'll go back and we'll look at Christ and died and for. Well, what's this idea of our sins? Well, firstly, I thought about the fact that it's a collective thing. Paul addresses it to the church of Corinth, and he says it's for our sins. It's not just that it's for a select company of the people of Corinth. It's not just that it's for Jews' sins and not for Peter's, it was for our sins. It was collective. It had covered them all. And whenever I was thinking of that, I was thinking of a verse in Romans. And you've heard it. If you've been to a gospel meeting before, you'll have heard it before. And it says in Romans, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. It's the first thing I want to, to get us to grips with this evening. Sin is not something that affects people in distant lands. It's not people who are less well off than we are. It's not for the people who are in prison. Sin is something that affects each and every one of us. It's something that has part of our lives. It's part of our nature. You see, we could go right back to the very start of time itself. And God created a beautiful garden. And inside that garden, he put a man and a wife. And he said to them, Of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat, but one tree thou shalt not eat of. And the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. And that man, Adam, his wife was deceived by the serpent. But Adam willfully rejected the command of God and sinned. And we are told in Romans again that by one man's disobedience, many were made sinners. And the many doesn't mean just one or two or 90% of the population. It means all. We are all sinners by nature. But further, we are sinners by practice. I have the, the, the privilege of, of having uh, two young children. I have a, a wee daughter who is two and a half. She has never had to be told how to do wrong. And the other day was the first time I experienced her telling me a lie. Now, I've never sat down and I've never had to say, now, if you know what the truth is, you tell me the opposite because that's a lie. She just knows because it's her nature and it's inside every one of us. 
But not only the fact that are we sinners by nature and sinners by practice and sinners as a collective as the world is all sinners. But I want to get down to the fact that sin is an individual matter. If you were to end up standing before God today, you would not be judged based on the fact that you are less of a sinner than the person standing next to you. You would not be judged in the fact that you are a better person than the person who is in Magabry prison. It's not good enough. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Friend, the psalmist would say, Lord, be merciful unto me. He acknowledged his sin before God. He acknowledged that it was him that had sinned against God. It is an individual matter. You cannot fob it off onto somebody else. You cannot blame somebody else. You cannot compare yourself to somebody else. It is between you and God. And friend, God's standard is perfection. That's what it means in that verse whenever it says to come short of the glory of God. God's standard is absolute perfection. And each one of us has fallen so far short of that. And I want to think about the fact that sin is not a laughing matter. There's a lot of people in our world today will tell you that sin is its just something light. It's just, it happens. Don't worry about it. Just get on with your life. Friend, sin is serious. Sin isn't just a fact that you fall short of God's standard. A falling short of God's standard means judgment. This is one of the lessons that I'm trying to teach to my little daughter at the minute, is that if daddy tells you to do something, I expect you to do it. And if you fail to do what daddy asks, there are consequences. It's the same for us. God has a perfect, holy standard. And whenever we fall short of that standard, God as a holy, righteous God, who is just, he has to meet that with the punishment that it deserves. But God is merciful. He could pour out his wrath upon us right now and it would be wholly deserved. We've already established we're sinners. We've already established that we fall short of God's standard. If God was to pour out his wrath upon us right now, not one of us could stand here and turn and say, I didn't deserve that. But God in his mercy has withheld it. But there will be a day, should we die, or should the Lord Jesus come back to the air, there will be a day whenever we will answer for our sins if we are still without Christ. And there is no getting out of it. You hear a lot of people complaining about our justice system and how that people can commit heinous crimes and get away with very little punishment. Friend, God is not like that. God will not just, I say this reverently, will not just give you a slap on the wrist and say, on you go. He will meet the punishment of your sin in perfect balance, and there's no escaping it. And people may say, well, well, see, I'm a good person. I do my best. I, I, I live by God's law. I, I follow the Ten Commandments. Friend, 
I'm sorry to say, but religion, church going, charity, following the Ten Commandments, whatever label you want to put upon it is not good enough. Romans would tell us again, it talks about the law and it says that every mouth may be stopped and all the world guilty before God. Friend, if you're trying to keep the Ten Commandments, I applaud you and I encourage you to keep doing so. They are given to us from God for a reason. But friend, they're there to show us how far short we fall of God's standard. We are hopeless. We are helpless in our sinful state. There's nothing we can do. But that's where I want to think about the person at the start of the, the verse, or at the start of those five words. What a polar opposite. Christ. You know, if we think of our sins and how far we've fallen and how sinful we are and how dirty and worthy of wrath and judgment that we are, you couldn't go further in the opposite end of the scaled with Christ. Who was Christ? There's maybe somebody here who, who's never had a Bible or never read it and doesn't know anything about the gospel. Who, who was Christ? Who is this person that we come and we preach about every week? Well, the Lord Jesus Christ was God manifest in flesh. The beginning of John's gospel tells us that in the beginning was the word and the word is talking about the Lord Jesus Christ. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. And it will go on to tell us that the word became flesh and dwelt amongst us. What an amazing thought that God, who is eternal, who created the world, would take upon himself flesh and live amongst us. And that person who was God, the Lord Jesus Christ, he was holy, just as God is holy. He was sinless. He was perfect. You know, we get that in him was no sin. He did no sin, and he knew no sin. Never could those things be said of another person or another being on this planet. He was born without a sinful nature. There was nothing in him that cried out to sin. And yet he was also the willing one. You know, Christ didn't come with some pretext of doing something else, but ended up on Calvary's cross because of some error in a plan. Christ came with the purpose of going to Calvary. He was willing to go. A perfect, holy man. And his purpose for coming, what was it? It was to die. As I said, our sin has demanded that God must mete out a judgment upon us. He must answer the problem of the fact that he has been offended, that his law has been broken. But God in his mercy has restrained. And God in his love has provided a way out in the person of his son. The Lord Jesus Christ. And whenever he lived here on this earth, he lived here for 33 and a bit years. There was not one person could bring an accusation against him. You know, there's, there's people who, uh, you go to their funerals and friends and family will stand up and extol 
how great they are. And yet there's always that thing in the background that people don't talk about. There's always some fault that someone somewhere has with them. There's always some wrong that has been done. With the person of Christ, he was perfect. And he came to die. And the reason that he could go to Calvary's cross and he could die in our place was because he was that sinless one, because he was that perfect one, and because he was a man like us. He was able to go and step into the place that we should have been in. You know, it was an awful death. Men took him and men nailed him to a cross. They laughed and they scorned and they spit upon him. They drove nails through his hands and his feet. But friend, that wasn't the worst part. For three hours of darkness, God poured out his wrath upon his holy son. For three long hours, the perfect son of God, God manifest in flesh, he took my place and he took your place on Calvary's cross to forgive us of our sins. It was at Calvary that God is able to justly say, I have meted out the punishment that was due to you. Christ died for our sins. That was the purpose of Calvary. The purpose of Calvary was that God could stand and forgive the sinner because the punishment has already been paid by his son. And friend, if I was standing here this evening just presenting somebody who died, there could be questions as to whether or not it's any good. Uh, what good is, is somebody who is, is dead? They can't do anything for me. Well, that's why I took time to read the next verse, that he was buried and that he rose again the third day. And Christ didn't. He died upon the cross for our sins. He was taken down and he was put in a tomb. And three days later, God raised him from the dead. Because Christ has risen, we can have full assurance that heaven is satisfied with what Christ did at Calvary. There's no question for you to go, well, has he done enough? There's no doubt as to whether God has been satisfied. I'm not standing here Wondering if whenever I get to heaven's gates, will Christ's work have been done enough for me? Christ could say as he died, as he gave up the ghost, he would say, it is finished. There is not a bit left to be done. So friend, whenever I tell you that tonight you're a sinner, and the fact that your sin is something that affects you from birth, it's something that is part of your identity. It's part of who you are because of who we come from. It's part of who you are because of what you do. And there's nothing that you can do as a sinner to make it right with God. What I can do is I can point you to Christ this evening. He is the holy, spotless Son of God, and he came so that he could die upon a cross for our sins. Not his own, for he had none. But he died for our sins. And he's risen again, seated at God's right hand. And there will be a day whenever he will come again.
And he will take those who are Christians, those who put their faith and trust in him, they will take, he will take him to be with himself. Friend, do you realize this evening the seriousness of your sin? Do you realize that it's between you and God? Do you realize there's nothing you can do? Christ has done it all at Calvary. He has died for our sins. And what, what is the, the answer? It was quoted in, in the prayer meeting. The Philippian jailer, he ran in and he would say to the Apostle Paul, a far greater preacher than, than I could ever be, what must I do to be saved? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Friend, it's simply through putting faith and trust in him. He's done everything. He is alive. He is able to reach and to save you if you're willing to put your faith and trust in him. He won't force you into it. And whenever you get, if you refuse to acknowledge him as Lord and accept him as your savior, there will be a day whenever you will stand before him Revelation tells us that there will be a day called the Great White Throne where all the books will be opened and all the peoples judged and whoever was not found written in the Lamb's Book of Life was cast into outer darkness. Friend, dearly, if you reject Christ, there is no hope. For eternity. Plead with you this evening. Think of your sin. Think of your soul that will last eternity. Think of the Son of God who gave himself for you. He died for your sin and for my sin. And he is alive today, offering salvation to you that you might have a place with him in eternity. Shall we pray? Our Father, we continue before thee and we just thank thee for this time that we have together we thank thee that we have been able to think about the fact that christ died for our sins we thank thee that he did for our father we have thought by the fact that we are hopeless and helpless in our own state there is nothing that we could have done to have gained our justified merit with a holy god there was a debt that always had to be paid yet we thank thee for the one who went to calvary person of Christ, the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Our Father, we thank thee that at Calvary he could cry, it is finished. He died that sin-atoning death. We thank thee that he was raised again that third day. Heaven's seal of approval of the work of Calvary. We thank thee that this evening he is able to meet the need of the sinner, that while we can do nothing for ourselves, he has done it all. And he is able to make us right with thee if we just put our faith and trust in him. Our Father, our prayer would be this evening that there would be a soul who would grasp the seriousness of their sin, would realize the work of the Savior and take him as their own. We just commit this time to thee. Pray that it will have been glorifying to thy son and that a soul or souls would come to know thee as Savior this evening. We just commit these things to thee, asking for thy blessing upon it in thy son's precious name. Amen.